Welcome to Real Talk of Real Life. This is your host, Ryan Riggs. Today we are sitting down with one of our clients, Mr. Daniel Brockington. Uh, Mr. Brockington was recently released from the Richmond City Justice Center. Uh, long history of incarceration. Um, but I think, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have him on today is to, you know, kind of, you know, give a first-person perspective of, you know, what exactly we're dealing with uh, in regards to, you know, our criminal justice system and how, uh, you know, substance use disorder plays into that and, uh, you know, just all of that stuff. Just give you a real authentic uh, look at um, kind of humanize and, and, and personalize what this looks like because, you know, everybody, uh, you know, 22 million people uh, nationwide suffer with a substance use disorder. And, um, and that's just ones that are, you know, that have, have acknowledged that, um, you know. And so with that number being so high, um, we all know somebody, uh, you know, or, or have a, a person in our life that suffers with this. And so I think having, having Daniel on is uh, just a part of, of being able to get, uh, you know, his perspective and, and some of the things he's been through. So thank you for being here today, Daniel. Hey, thank you. How you doing today, Ryan? Uh, everything's good, man. Um, so I guess we'll start just by, you know, tell me a little bit about your story, who you are, where you're from, uh, all that type of stuff. Um, Daniel, I'm originally from Richmond, Virginia, uh, from the West End, grew up over the South Side. Um, came from a, a very middle-class family. I always had food, clothing, and shelter. Uh, went to a private Christian school. Uh, was raised really much by my mom, a single mom, and my grandfather, um, who really played a big role in my life. Um, played a lot of sports as a kid, you know what I mean? Um, didn't have any brothers or sisters at that time. I was my mom's only child. Um, I was I was I was active. I was active in, in like you saying sports and, and stuff like that. I was active in church because uh, that was what my mom did. So um, you ain't playing no basketball though. <laughs> Not a football, <laughs> basketball, you know, uh, ping pong. Hung in the local rec center. You know what I mean? Uh, was an outgoing child. You know what I mean? Uh, pretty much you could say I was spoiled. You know, uh, I always had food, clothing, and shelter. Uh, the latest uh, video game or the newest shoes. My mom did whatever she could, sacrifice to make sure that I was all right. You know what I mean? So um, I came from a real good stock, good foundation. Um, so, so at what? How old were you when you when you kind of started going down a, a different path? But first, let me say this. I want to say this that I didn't start off an addict or substance abuse. When I first started experimenting with uh, cigarettes or marijuana or having a drink, I probably was about. 12 or 13, you know, a couple of guys, we'll get together, put our pool out money, go to the 99 cent movie. You know, before we go down there, we all put up $2 to get us a little dime bag because we seen people smoking. We'll go down to Fars Hill Pocket, roll a couple of J's and get to giggling and laughing. You know what I mean? Still a beer out the refrigerator and drink a beer and, you know, go to the movie and just giggle and laugh and mess with the girls and, you know, do stuff like that. So it really started off as an as a, a innocent thing. Um, everybody was doing it, so... That was really much our thing. We seen them doing it, and the big guys were doing it. You go to school, you can buy $2 J's from the guys at school. You know what I mean? It was it was everywhere, so it wasn't really a big issue then. As I got older and began to uh, understand the financial aspect of it, where you can make a lifestyle of or a living off it, you see the guys with the uh, nice cars and the nice clothes and the jewelry and the flashy, you know, the flashy lifestyle, and I was attracted to that. I, I really loved that, so... um. Eventually, I um I got into the game. Um, started off 
up in a lot of <laughs> what you call gambling houses. You know what I mean? Um, I had family who, who was into that lifestyle. So I started off in gambling houses, so I seen a whole different crowd, a lot of money, people using what you call heroin. I ain't know what that was at the time, and just a lot of gambling. That's how I started off eventually. Crack hit real big, you know what I mean? And um, I had a family member that was dealing with some guys from up north, and they came down with what you call baseballs, which was ounces of cocaine, and they started giving it to us, breaking it off, and we started getting a couple of dollars, so I, I felt like I was a big guy then, you know what I mean? I had my first vehicle, uh, a 1982 Mustang. That was my first one. Then I bought a Colt Vista, and eventually I bought a Cherokee Laredo. So I felt like, Shh, I'm that dude, you know what I mean? Um, but I became my own best <laughs> biggest customer after a while because I tried I tried uh, crack cocaine in a cigarette one time, you know, somebody said, hey, I don't actually think see nobody say that. I don't know why I did it, but I know I put it in a cigarette and that tobacco and I hit it and I opened the door that I was unable to close for a long time. You know what I mean? Um, I didn't really feel like an addict at that time or that I had a problem. Um, but I, I love that feeling and I continue to chase that feeling and, and <laughs> that chasing that feeling uh, led me to a lot of dark places. You know what I mean? So, so one of the questions I want to ask you, because I, I think about this often, um, you know, what what do you think you're in, like, how did your environment, I kind of, I think you kind of glossed over it, but you mentioned, you know, um, you know, seeing people kind of uh, that were in the lifestyle, you know, driving cars and, you know, um, kind of having it like, like, can you elaborate more on that? Like, how, how much did that play into um, you know, you kind of making the choices that you made, like seeing those guys doing that at a young age. It played a big part. I mean, um, I came up in the era of uh, hip hop. I use I gotta use hip hop as my as my backdrop because everything for me revolved around the music. Big Daddy Kane, the Fat Boys, Run DMC, coming up in the era, Public Enemy, and um, so that was a different type of era. But when the the, the cocaine and the cracker hit, and you start seeing. The Pay the Full movie, you seen Pay the Full. If you ever looked at the movie Pay the Full and they showed the beginning of the end, it was just like that. You had to have the MCM coats and the Gucci belts and the, the hottest leads, two-tone leads with the name belts. All that fascinated me. Um, Just these guys driving these cars, these big Cadillacs with the trues and the Vols and the rags. And, you know, they're talking flat. They got the big gold chains on. It, it's attractive. It, it was very attractive. And, and along with that came, of course, the women. You know what I mean? You, you always want to be seen in a certain light. And um, I admired that, you know. Like I said, I came, I always had what I needed, but they was fly. <laughs> that was the word, and they was fly, you know what I mean? They had, I might have on a pair of Nikes, but they might have on a pair of Nikes with some gold on them or something, you know, just something that was custom-made and nice with an MCM logo. You'd be like, where would they get them from, you know? So it was, that it really attracted me and my little group of friends, you know what I mean? We, we used to sit around and talk about, Oh man, that's a Benz 500. I can't wait to get one of those. We could name every car in the hood when Acura came out. When we could name every car that came out because we all—that's what we wanted. And when guys came through with it, it was just that's what we want. That's what we wanted. And I always wanted to have those things. You know what I mean? So I chased that. That 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 played a big, big influence on me. It's funny because I I was sitting with my daughter the other day and uh, it, we was I was teaching her how to play. That's my car. See, they don't yeah. know nothing about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like. But we used to do that as a kid. Same with me, you know. I mean, I I, I grew up in, like, a lower-middle-class neighborhood, but that was what we did the past time, you know, and uh, we'd sit there and kind of, you know, dreaming the things that we want, uh, that we wish we had, and it seemed like the people that were involved in that type of lifestyle seemed to have those things that we wanted, and so they kind of went hand-in-hand where, well, you know, um, 
you know, when I seen a really nice car with rims on it that was attracting to me, I also came up with the in the music era too, you know, listening yeah. to all that. I'm a little bit younger than you, a couple of years, but but uh but yeah, it was the same thing, man, so I can relate. So, uh how far um you know, I guess one of the questions people often ask me and I'm gonna kinda of pass this on to you is when did you begin to notice that um that this lifestyle or your drug use or uh whatever was becoming a problem? Oh, it took a while for that. Like you said, um I started off uh I tried the first time cocaine. I always had smoked marijuana. Marijuana just was the drug. I was never really a big drinker. I drank a lot more when I was in job corps up in West Virginia in Charleston. I did all of my drinking pretty much up there at the age of 17. And when I came back, I was just done with the beer thing and the wine thing. And I think the last incident I had with that was Cisco. I don't know if y'all remember Cisco. I, I bought a yeah. bottle of Cisco one night and bucked it and went to the club and I woke up in the hospital. And that was pretty much the end of my drinking. Um, but I always was, was, was fascinated with the cigarette smoke and the weed smoke. And I began to lace up. Uh, the marijuana, me and my guy was I was hustling with my partner. We we began to lace the marijuana with the cocaine, and that was mind blowing. I mean, that was the up and the down, and you got that perfect high. And, and right then, I was I was hooked. You know, um, he could stop, but it seemed like I could never stop because I couldn't get enough. You know what I mean? You know, and I'm dipping in the pack now, and the money coming up short. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> now I'm starting to see my profit. I'm using my profit, and it was like, like, what's going on with you? And it was, I never could understood how he could just do a little bit and stop, and me, I keep going. You know what I mean? Um, I didn't understand addiction, none of that. But I, I, the problem started there. Eventually, I got I got locked up for my first drug charge. Um, I caught a uh, distribution. Somebody sold something. Somebody they told on me. Went down to jail. Came um, as a juvenile. Turned eighteen. Came back out. Then thought it was nothing, but actually something profound happened down there that I realized today. A guy told me as I was leaving, he said, you'll be back. And I looked at him like, what you mean I'll be back? Man, you tripping. He said, young, you'll be back. I didn't understand that now, and I never really inquired about it. I didn't ask him what did he mean by that. It was just like, man, I ain't trying to sit this old man. He's been in jail. So I ain't trying to hear that. But he's seen some things, you know what I mean? Um, but I actually got out in less than six months to a year, I was back. You know what I mean? This time I went to prison. Um, I only stayed in prison for probably 90 days, so I thought I was a big boy. I just happened to just go to prison and receive it and came straight home, but I had I, I made my bones then, you know what I'm saying? But I came home doing the exact same thing. I came back home. First thing I picked up was the marijuana and the cocaine. I didn't care about what the P.O. said, the dirty urine. I wanted that feeling. Um, and I eventually, less than six months later, I was locked up again. This time I went to prison for two and a half years. Um, but it, nothing changed. Like you said, I wasn't aware of addiction or being an addict. I didn't consider myself an addict because I wasn't shooting heroin or I wasn't sniffing heroin or I wasn't hitting the crack pipe. You know what I mean? I wasn't doing those things. I was just lacing a little weed, you know, smoking jumbos, as is what we call them. Um, but in jail, I got high. I smoked weed. I never used any other drugs. I smoked weed in jail, so it was, I mean, this what it is. I came home after that two and a half years. I came home in 1995. Went to the barber school. I started cutting hair at the barber school. Felt like I was on the right path. I actually went to the Million Man March up in D.C. And, um, you know, party. I, I just had fun. But I still had that same mind state, and I did it again. And less than a year after I came home, matter of fact, probably eight months after I came home from that time, violated, and I was locked up again. And from that point on, from 1996 
probably May or June, I mean, April of 1996, it just started a cycle, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001. For the next eight, nine years, I was just in and out of jail and prison, in and out of jail and prison. Every year, I never saw a year on the street. Every time I came home, I used and got hot, but I couldn't see the pattern. You know, it wasn't for new crimes. I did catch a couple of but it was for use. I just kept valeting for dirty units, valeting for dirty units, and I couldn't see it. Um, so I didn't really know I had a problem. But in 2004, things that got so bad with me, um, I actually I moved to North Carolina, Charlotte, in 2002. And um, I was doing good. I left this area. I got up there. I wasn't you. I was just smoking weed. I started my own little bar, uh, hair cutting business while I passing off flies. I would go to people's houses and, or meet them at different centers and cut the kids' hair. I felt like I was doing something. And I, I used up there. I found, I found, I found that cocaine one day. So I don't know how I found it, but I found it and I laced that weed one night and my mindset just automatically switched and the young lady I was with, you know, my son's mother at that time, she had just got pregnant. She seen that change and she was like, I don't know what's going on with you, but this is not going to happen. And I ended up coming back to Virginia in 2004 and I came back and my mindset was that of, of a, I don't give a F, you know, I just didn't care about nothing. And um, somebody presented something to me opportunity to get a lot of money and I actually took it you know what I mean um I went and took that money but I got high before I did it so I was paranoid I took sixty thousand dollars um and I got I would I think I would have got away with it in hindsight but when I came out with the money and I'm coming I felt like somebody was following me because I'm high I'm paranoid and I did something stupid um I took a lady cocky jumped it in and drove off so that gave me a carjacking police won't even chase won't even be looking for me but after I did that I think I'm I was just crazy. Police ended up chasing me. I crashed the car. The money blew up. The car blew up. And I'm going to jail for the next 12 years of my life. You know what I mean? And I still didn't think I was at it. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I got high every day in prison. You know what I mean? First time I tried a morphine pill. Um, I got high every day. You know what I mean? Um, but I still didn't think I was at it. I came home from, from, that, from 2004 to 2016. I came home. And it was crazy. I came home and I went to the PO office. And he pissed me that day. He said, Mr. Brown, you got marijuana in your system. I said, yeah, I, I smoked while I was locked up. I mean, I came home from prison with a dirty urine. And he said, um, you know what? Don't worry about it. We got a marijuana class. And that was like a green light. You know what I mean? I was like, what? He ain't tripping. I came home on a Thursday. Saturday night, I was smoking. Just smoking. I'm smoking all kinds of weed. And eventually, I got a job. And it led me to what I really wanted. I tried that cocaine. And wham, it was... I was back at it again, you know. Um, so it seems like uh, there's a there's a there's a, a pattern of you know uh, you know starting off with the weed or alcohol and then transition to the cocaine, uh, which is typical, you know. I think for for most of us. Um, but going back a little bit, because there's a question I wanted to to pose to you because, um, you know, I often think about like what. What causes us? Because you know we were talking about you being um, kind of enamored with the street life and with the you know cars and all that. Um, but then like this weird thing happens when we start going to jail a lot, which is like it's almost like you know from the movies we watch. I don't know what leads to it. I kind of want to get your thoughts on it, but um, but you know, man, like it's crazy because for me, like I became the same way I was. Um, 
enamored with the lifestyle of, of, of drug dealers and, you know, when watching New Jack City and all these different stuff. You know, I wanted, I thought, like, that's what I wanted to be. It's almost like when I started getting locked up, it was like, I was almost, as crazy as it sounds, like, chase that incarcerated lifestyle the same way I did the street life. You know, like, I was doing crime, like, it was like, it was almost like a badge of honor. Like, I was, not that I wanted to go to jail, but that was, like, part of, the thing, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, but part of the thing that like solidified my persona of this person that I was trying to be, or that I was, you know, like I was, you know, hard, or I was, you know, had this rep or whatever. So um, I, I don't know. I'm just curious, is like, like what do you think, you know, caused it? Because I see a lot of young men, you know, um, in our community fall into that trap, you know, of, um, you know, going to jail and thinking that, that 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 shit is cool, for lack of a better term, you know, like coming out and, you know, yeah, I just did this time. I, I guess I'm curious, as, what are your thoughts <laughs> of, like, what do you think leads us to 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 um to get in that mindset where we think that like going to jail is like uh, cool or um you know gets us some notoriety? Um, you know, and that's 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 a good question too, Ryan. Um, when I started going. And I went, you had heard so much about the prison, uh, prison this, prison that, this what they do. And you've seen these movies and you you had this perception. And um, when I went and it was nothing like it, I, I, I had thought or imagined and I came through it with like flying colors. So it was like, oh, I can do this. You know what I mean? This this the consequences of my actions. And so I had a mindset of, oh, that ain't nothing. I can do that. And I went to jail and I get out and like, Oh man, this ain't nothing. I, I I began to. It became like you say, my addiction. It became like an addiction too. See, now that I look back on it, actually being locked up became an addiction. I I became more comfortable locked up, and I think these young guys today, um, because I've spent a lot of time around young guys and talked to them. Um, it is like a badge of honor. You know what I mean? You hear about it in the music. You know what I mean? So a lot of their favorite artists and music plays a big part in a lot of guys' lives. You know what I mean? A lot of stuff we listen to. A lot of people, you know, it's funny because a lot of people don't talk about that. And I say that a lot, but, like, it's almost like taboo to say that. Because it's like I'm not shifting the blame onto the music industry because they're just expressing, right. you know, what their reality has been. Or Some of them. Not all of them. Some of them just yeah. perpetrating fraud. But, but I'm not necessarily blaming them. But... I look back at my history and I, you know, I grew up in like the Wu-Tang, Nas, yeah, yeah. you know, okay. Biggie, Pac era. <laughs> and like, I listened to that music and I watched these, you know, Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society, mm-hmm. movie, Scarface, you know, I watched all these Goodfellas, all these gangster movies. And it was like, I can see how the things that I was putting into my spirit began to manifest themselves in my life, yeah. you know? And so, uh, but it's funny cause like people, for some reason, when we talk about that, people always do it like tongue in cheek, where they kind of, it's like they don't want to blame the music or the or the or the movies because it's not necessarily their fault. But you know what we put in is what's going to come out. Definitely, that, and that's you said you couldn't have said it no more. What we put in is what we get out. We glam- and and like you said, the movies you talked about, it was a glamorized lifestyle, and I and I idolized and I looked up to it, and that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be Scarface with a table full of cocaine and more money that I could spend. You understand what I'm saying? I wanted I wanted to be, uh, you know, Nino Brown. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And walk around and I control the whole hood. That's 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 what I aspired to be at that time and that's what I, I saw and that's what I listened to, you know, um and, and, and like you said, it does play a part. It plays it plays a very big part. Um if you hear something the whole lot, it becomes a part of who you are. If all I'm hearing is kill, 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 murder, 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 then that's what I'm thinking. Shh, I should kill this guy, I should murder this guy. And I hear a lot of that when I when I speak speak with young guys, you know what I mean, and I can't. I don't blame on them because I was a product of that same thing. Um, but they glamorize that lifestyle. You get up in there or, or jails or prisons now because it's a whole different scene. And you get up in there and you you act a certain way. And you come out. You do your little time. You come out. Yeah, I just did this. I just did that. And and now it's a badge of honor to to go through these walls to be part of this. And is 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 to me it's crazy now that I'm of age and I look back on this like that was that's insane. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Even think like that, but. Sorry about that. All right, so you were saying badge of honor? Yeah, and like I said, I think that's insane to even think like that, but I understand it because I, I thought like that. You know, um, I guess the big thing in prison now is um, it's the gang thing, and I ain't going to get into deep into that, but I, used to, I always talk to a lot of guys, you know, ask them why they chose that lifestyle, or why you such and such, and, and a lot of what I heard is because that's what they're doing. That's what my neighborhood do. That's what my friends do. That's, you know, so it was a lot of following. You know what I mean? It's a lot of following now. Um, not too many leaders, um, but uh, yeah, that jail and prison thing is real. So, so uh, another thing that I think is is important for 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 people to understand, because you know, you and I, right, and like the, you know, the, some of the other clients here and people that we deal with that have histories of incarceration, we understand, um, you know, like we understand this lifestyle. But some of these people listening to this podcast, they might not even. Um, understand like the re- the harsh realities of, of institutional life. So like the general public, I think they 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 look at prison as okay, uh, this person committed X crime and needs to be punished, and um, you know that 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 you know they're going to go to prison and they're going to uh, get a consequence and it's going to change their behavior and they're going to get out and you know we give them you know a harsh sentence they're going to get out and they're going to do something different because they're going to be afraid of you know going back to jail mm-hmm. you know but you <laughs> you and I know that that's just not the reality and um you know and oftentimes the environment of of, of jail or prison um you know it serves to to kind of uh to reinforce um you know some of our negative behaviors and so uh, I guess you know what's your experience with that. <laughs> uh, looking back on like you said in hindsight, I realize now that I live better in prison than I did on the street. Um, and me personally, like I said, I speak on that for I became so accustomed to being incarcerated that when I got there, I could adjust to that environment. Just like that, you you put me anywhere, any prison or jail, and you give me a week, or you give me a month, or you give me sixty days, and you know what? I'm right in the mix. I'm 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 finding out where the gambling at. I'm finding out where the drugs at. I'm finding out who doing this, who got the poker game, and I'm in my element. And it was it was it was crazy, and um, I became a product of that environment because it 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 really is an environment. It's an adjustment. Um, I always had the, I had the mentality of I guess somebody said this to me when I was young, but a young man, even you could be predator or prey, and I refused to be prey. But you don't know. I so I felt I was a predator, but you don't know. You may be prey to somebody else who, who who's a predator. You right. know what I mean? So it was always a thing where I had to keep a certain mindset and spending so much of my 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 life inside though in that unnatural environment is what I call it. Um, that's that's what I knew, and that's that's all I knew. It shaped it shaped a lot of who I am today. 
Yeah, and I, I think one of the things I, I battled with too was, um, and not that I was by any means a predator, uh, but uh, you know, I, I too, a creature of a of, of of adaptation. So like, I learned, you know, and me being a a young at the time Caucasian male. You can imagine the badge of honor I wore after doing, you know, years and years in the city jail, walking out of there, acting like, you know, uh, you know, yeah, I made it through there, and I, you know, whatever. Like I had this 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 great big badge of honor, but I think one of the one of the things that happened to me that, um, and I see this a lot with our clients and with people with long histories of incarceration is because we learn how to adapt to the jail environment and prison environment and 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 thrive essentially mm-hmm. in that environment you know um at least with those principles that we live by in there and then we get out and like we think we know how to thrive but like the only tools we have are the tools mm-hmm. that helped us thrive in prison you know what i mean and and jail and so it's like um, you know, so I get people in the office that come in here and, and they were kind of a big shot in jail or prison or or they were, a, you know, a, 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 they, they learned easily how to operate in that in that arena. And then they come out here and they struggle trying to adjust, right. you know, uh, the same way we adjusted in, in jail or prison. Uh, for some reason, uh, people struggle really hard to try to adapt to living life on life terms out here, man, you know, and so. Uh, what's that been like for you trying to adjust out here? That's 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 been the that's been the one right there, Ryan. You you hit it on the head. Um, like you said, for years and years, I never realized I had an issue. Um, when coming home in 2016, after being locked up for over a decade, uh, I told my I told my mom, I said, listen, I need 60 days to, to decompress. She said, what you mean? I said, I just gotta. I'm not going to look for no job. I'm not going to do anything but decompress. I said, after being gone for so long, I need to just get that out of my system. Um, I think that was the worst thing I ever did. Actually, it was the worst thing I ever did because I didn't get into anything to try to better myself or to further myself. Um, I had this mindset of when something happened or some situation came up, I reacted like I was still incarcerated. And I couldn't see it. And uh, my mom was sitting on London, like, like, why are you acting like that? Or what's wrong with you? Why are you saying that? And I'm like, ain't nothing wrong with me. What's wrong with you? You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like it wasn't nothing wrong with me. It was wrong. Something was wrong with them, and I couldn't see it. And within eight months um, after coming home, I was locked up again after doing a decade in jail. You know, um, went in front of the judge, and the judge gave me a year. Told me I'm going to take you off paper. What? A year? You can take me off paper? I was upset about going back to jail, but all I could see was I'm not going to be on probation. Now I can do what I want to do. First thing I'm thinking about, I'm going to come home and get high. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I found, uh, so that adjustment never changed. Did a year in, down in jail, was in the real program, thrived in a structured environment. Again, I'm in a structured environment, and I thrived. I came home, it wasn't even 30 days I was using. For no reason at all, I, I just began to use within eight months, incarcerated again. You know. So listen, let me ask you a question. So how did that feel? Right. When you're in the real program and you're doing good and you have every intention, you know, of getting out and doing right. And then you get out and in 30 days you messed up again. Like how did how did Daniel feel, you know, like when 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 you found yourself after 30 days of getting out with all intentions of doing right. Now, here you are again back in the same situation. It, it was a letdown. Um, I'm a prideful person, so I feel like when I walked out of the door, I had it all. I had the answers to it all. I actually walked out the door. First thing I did was go to a meeting. I actually left straight from the jail and went straight to a meeting. So I said, that's the start. I started coming down to the program, and I'm coming down here, going to the house, cutting guys' hair. I'm, I'm, I'm on it. And just one day, I just 
I went and used and it just was like, I can handle this. That's what I kept telling myself. Oh, it ain't going to be like the last time. I'm good. I got this information now. I learned some things. I'm going to be all right. I can use now. I'm going to outsmart the disease. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> and I felt, but when I when I, when I I used first time, like you said, it wasn't a full-blown thing. It took a minute for me to get right back into that addition. But once I got back into it, it was like, I, 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 it was a real it was a real letdown. You know what I mean? And it. Each time I use or I have a, a period of wear and I come back, the addiction gets stronger. You know, it's like I'm chasing it harder and harder. So it, I really was on a path to eradicate my existence. I was trying to kill myself, you know. So I, I, I felt, I think that was the lowest point of my life. Um, and that was this last run that you had? That was this last run up until from from March when I got, I started getting high. In April, actually, I gave my dirty urine. First, as soon as I seen the pill, I gave him a dirty urine. The first time I seen him, I gave him a dirty urine, and I, you know, so... After that game, two, three more, and he told me, he said, um, you know, I turned the paperwork into the judge. I said, well, am I going to jail today? He said, no. Nah. I said, okay. And that's all I needed to hear. So I never <laughs> went back to the PR office. You know what I mean? I just went on my run. Uh, I got locked up December 11th. Um, at that point, I had started using heroin. So I was using heroin, cocaine, and marijuana. Um, so I was just I was just out there then um, just chasing, chasing something I couldn't even, I was going to never get. You know, I, I, was, I was never going to get the feeling I was chasing, but I was just, Spending money and chasing every day. That's what I woke up to do. I I, I used to live and I live to use. And um, I got locked up. I I was I was actually out about to do something crazy. Um, and in the midst of doing something crazy, something happened. And I called called somebody and I said, look, I need this. I got some money coming. I need this. And he was like, All right, I got you. And as I was going back to my vehicle or to the vehicle, I already seen the law. The law was right there. And I had an opportunity to run, but I was so tired and unknowingly subconscious. I was just so tired of the lifestyle. I just walked over there. And I went over there, knowing I had a warrant out. He said, Can I see your ID? I called my people. I said, Look, I'm about to go to jail. I'm like, What's wrong? I said, I'm about to go to jail. And I gave him my ID and I got locked up that day. Um, I got down to jail and went into detox. And I just, everything seemed like my whole life just flashed over. Everything just started coming back from 20, 25 years, prison experience. Everything just started coming back and I couldn't sleep. I was tossing and turning. I was sick. I was just going through it, and I, um, I that was it. I knew right. I, it's like I knew right in and there that you know what I can't do this no more. It ain't even about me saying I'm sick and tired. I just knew my I couldn't do this no more. Cause, and I cried out. You know what I mean? I, I cried out to my higher power, and it was just like I can't do this no more. Whatever it takes to live. That's a mantra I live by now. I done made it up. I might get some t-shirts made. Um, whatever it takes to live, and I and I just kept saying whatever it takes to live because I was doing whatever it takes to kill myself. I just said I can't do this no more. I couldn't do it, and I was just so beat down. And um, I made a decision right then and there that if I'm given an opportunity to get out here, I'm gonna do something different. You know. Um, so, so, so we know that the jail necessarily environment didn't change because uh, it doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what what changes did you make in your behavior? You know, while you were incarcerated this time, or what was different? Um, you know, I know you just shared, you know, the feeling, and and I can relate because it was the same thing for me, man. It was like just for the first time, I. And I, I thought I had enough before, but I, I know you understand what I'm saying because you felt that feeling where yeah. you like you know this is the time, yeah. like this is it, I'm done, uh, you know. Uh, and so this time around, what what changed, um, what changed in your in your your last sentence, and uh, you know what have you been doing since then, and and upon your release to kind of um, to reinforce, you know that 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 this is the last time, this is enough. 
Um, actually, like you said, well, I, I came out of detox. Uh, they, I went to, a, I was in Henrico jail and I went to, a, they took me off detox, sent me to a regular pod. I tried to go to sleep at night. I couldn't go to sleep. My heart was beating fast. So I, I had to hit the office. I went to medical. The people didn't care. People just said, okay, threw me in a cell. <laughs> Excuse me. They just threw me in a cell in, in a hole. Actually, they put me in a cell in a hole on the floor with no bed with some guy that was half out of his mind, and I think the situation just quickly. He woke up that morning to get breakfast. I gave him my tray. I went back to sleep, and I woke up. And the man was masturbating over, standing in front of me, masturbating, playing with himself. And I just, it was just things was happening. I was like, what? And I snapped. <laughs> I pushed him. I called the officer. They took me out of there, put me in another back in another cell in the hole. And I was in that cell in the hole, and a guy was on the top bunk. He was about to go home in a week. And I started talking, and he just started talking. He started talking about addiction and programs and. I mean, it was like God had just put him in my path for that. You know what I mean? For that reason, just act like I had to go through what I went through to get to that sale. And I'm in the sale, and man, dude started talking, and it was like, wow, I needed to hear this. You know what I mean? He gave me some inspiration and hope. You know what I mean? So it was like I'm already down. He was like, listen, bro, blah, 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 I went through this, and I've been through this, and you know what? I ain't going to tell you what you got to do, but I can tell you what's not going to work. You know what I mean? And it was like, wow. And I started hearing about this program they got, so I... I put in for the program. I ended up going to a program up uh, in Rico Jail East. And, um, you know, I, I had made a decision there that whatever, like I said, whatever it takes to live. I was willing to do whatever it took to live. I was willing to make any sacrifice that it took. And I was only locked up for actually the shortest time I've ever been locked up, 55 days. But it was the hardest 55 days of my life. You know what I mean? I did a decade, which was easy. It seemed like the number 55 days. Though that day, it was killing me. You know what I mean? Every little thing bothered me. Everything got on my nerve. Everything somebody said ran the head, space in my head. Every little action. And it was like, but you keep saying whatever it takes. And so once I really got into that, I made a decision that, you know what? I keep saying this, but I have it ain't words. It's action. You know what I mean? My whole mindset. And I started making little changes every day. Every day I wake up, you know. I made little changes and I set little goals for myself. You know what I mean? Um, I remember when I got there, I couldn't even do a, a pull up. I tried to do a pull up. I couldn't even pull. Up. I was like one seventy. Once I couldn't even pull myself up. I was like this crazy. And so I set little goals. I said I, I walk around. I do five push ups. Five. I might do twenty push ups in a day. Then the next day I might do forty. You know. So it was little goals like that. I made a promise just to read this, to read some positive. And and I think the biggest thing that helped me was. I had I had the power to control my day. I had the power to have feeling. Couldn't nobody else control my feelings. If I wanted to feel good, that was my choice. You know what I mean? And once I grabbed on to that, I think a whole a whole lot of things started to change for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, one thing that I noticed for me too was like, and I'm sure you can relate to this, and you kind of were, were hitting all around it too, is like I knew that it was the last time I got locked up that that was it because for the first time in my life, I felt uncomfortable in jail. You know what I mean? Like, where I used yeah. to be, I'd walk in there and it was like a homecoming. Like, yeah. hey, Riggs, what are you doing? All the deputies, what are you doing back? And then, there, you know, everybody in the chat, oh, what's up? You know, whatever. You know, this time it was like, I, for the first time I felt like, man, like, I don't belong here, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this this is just not where I'm supposed to be at. Um, you know, and that was the beginning. Uh, what that caused me to do was it caused me to, um, to go against the grain for the first time, you know, because it's hard to be. I don't think that the general public really realizes, um, even in a program like the Rise program or the Real program or whatever jail program there is, there's still like institutional thinking in there in that 
program, you know. And so when you really become serious about making a change, you are looked at uh, unkindly by your peers in there. You know, old Captain Recovery Daniel or, you know, they used to say that stuff to me all the time. You know, yeah, he's up in here talking all this stuff, but, you know, he's going to get out and go get high again. And, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, you know, people was just very, it was very difficult because by nature, I'm like a a creature, as much as I don't like to admit this, right, because I claim to be this really strong individual, but I was very motivated by what people, people's opinion of me, you know, what it was. And so when people would say negative things about what I was doing, it was hard, but it forced me, right, when I, when I knew I was uncomfortable in jail and I knew that this was the last time, it was like, you know what? I don't even care what them people say yeah. about me. I'm going to do what I got to do for me for the first time, you yeah. know. I, you know what, and I can relate to that because, like you said, another time I go into jail or prison, I always want to be seen in a certain light. You always want to be looked at a certain way. And, and this time, I didn't care what you thought about me. It was all about what I needed to do to keep from coming back to jail. That's all I cared about. I was so uncomfortable and so miserable by the thing. It was just like... In the groups I shared it, stuff that I just used to keep in, or I'd be judgment about somebody sitting up. And, oh, man, I don't believe that. I spoke. I, I, I shared my heart on. I tell them maybe if you get something out of it, that's good. But I'm sharing because I gotta get this garbage about me. I had to get it about me, and um, and it helped me. It it, it actually helped me, and it's continuing to help me now to share and be open and honest. Communication is a big part. Jail made me isolate. I was an isolator. I, I I could get him out. I could be in a room full of people and be alone. You know what I mean? I mean, and I won't be alone, but I'll be lonely. You know what I mean? So this time I chose to be different. I chose to, what I, what I call, or what I saw read of, build bridges and, and not walls. You know what I mean? Because uh, I always build walls, but this time um, I built bridges and it helped me a whole lot. It helped me a whole lot. So, so upon release, uh, you know, I was in court uh, for you, man, and I just, I got to share this, man, because um, I, I'm super encouraged, man, by uh, – I'm not saying that our criminal justice system doesn't need some work, right? Uh, a lot of work. But uh, I've been in – you know, I've been working on this side of the field for a few years now. And, um, you know, I have watched some pretty amazing things. Not saying that it always happens, but, you know, I was in there when they read your guidelines, yeah. you know, from three to four years or whatever it was. And you ended up, uh, you know, uh, leaving out that day, man, uh, to come here. Um, you know, but, but, but since, since, uh, you know, and so that's a, the reason I speak on that is because that's a, that's a big deal, you know, for a long time, man, like, you know, guidelines, man, you know, mm -hmm. judges, judges, they're going to stay within the guidelines or go over them. Very rarely do they go under. And, and for the last couple of years now, me going to court, I've seen when people are making an honest effort and sincerely trying to help themselves, um, you know, the court seems to be giving them a chance. You know, and uh, so were you surprised when you went to court and walked out that day? Uh, well, actually, I was I was looking forward to it. I, I had uh, I had prepared myself mentally. I actually told myself I couldn't accept nothing less than walking out that day. I'm gonna be honest with you, Ryan. Um, it was nothing else I couldn't accept. I couldn't accept going back to that jail. I wasn't going to accept going back to that jail, but um, I always knew it was the possibility. Um, I just say this. Uh, uh my friend put some. Uh, my lady put some money on my book. She's like, well, go ahead, order some commentary just in case you go back. I said, no, nah, no, I'm not. Because I felt like that would have been doubt. And I didn't spend that money. I said, no, I'm not. She said, well, you don't know you might come back. I said, no, nah, I'm not coming back. I, and I refused to do anything that would make me think I was coming back to jail. But like you say, um, the judge is so 
I think the other test too, the day before I went to court, I came down from from uh, jail east and I kept looking at that black box and I'm listening to guys talking, they talking about court. They put us in a holding cell, six of us, for six hours, from five o'clock, from four o'clock that evening to like 10 o'clock that night. We was just in a box and guys just talking about court, talking about, man, this judge, this, this judge, that, this judge, that. And it was, I guess it was the test. You know, my mind said, I'm listening, I'm listening for six hours, never said a word. The next morning, put me in the, in the same type of box and guy going to court. I just came out from this judge. He just did this. Oh, this judge's going to do this. And so it was messing with me mentally. And I think what really hurt me, my lawyer came right there because he had me thinking I'm going to get six to 12 months at the most if they don't take the program because my guidelines were so low. Or if not, we going to this, um, hopefully, you know, I would be allowed to go to this program. But then he come back five minutes before I go to court. I'm like, okay, now don't get upset. As soon about, as they start, yeah, I'm like, don't, just don't, just stay your pocket. Um, I think I, I mean, they, they talking three or four years. I'm like, what? He like, oh, this, 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 they come. We gonna stick to the plan. We gonna stick to the plan. So I'm like, man, <laughs> you didn't got me, you know. So we go in the courtroom, and you know, like you said, you was there, and the prosecutor stood up, and I'm thinking they just dealing with my dirty urines from the last PO. They didn't went back. 10, 12, 13, 14 years ago. Actually, they went back to like 2001. I'm like. What that got to do with me now, you know? And Mr. Barkley guidelines three or four years, so I was like, wow, for real, you know? So I man, but look, I got to say this, too. Like, But I think this is a principle, man, that I have practiced in my in my life, you know, and in my recovery journey. And and, and, and what you just explained is basically the, the, the practice of that, which is like the practice of faith, right? right. The action of faith, which yeah. is like, I'm not going to commissary because I'm not going back to jail, yeah. you know? Um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and and just the example of how that worked, man, is like even when that guy came back there and told you that stuff, because I was in there too, and, and the lawyer came in, um, and your lady came in there and told me what they were talking about. and um, But then in the end of the day, man, you know, the judge still, you know, uh, you know, still still had the final decision, man. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, I would argue that 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 may not have occurred had you not acted uh, and walked in faith the way that you did, you know. And so I think that you know the spiritual way that I believe is that you know when we when we when we walk in faith, um, not that we always get the desired reaction that we want, right. but that the reaction that we want is exactly what we need, you know, and uh, or, or the outcome that we get, whether we like it or not, is exactly what we need. And it seemed like you know that God. Uh, saw fit to send you here, man. So, um, you know, I've watched you walk since you got out, which is why I asked you to come in here and do this interview with me. But, um, you know, I'm encouraged by your walk, man. So, um, so, 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 what do you, uh, since you've been released, man? What is, uh, what has been different about this time as opposed to the other times? Actually, my thinking, um, my like I said, I live off the next right decision, and um, that's that's what it's about for me. That's what's been working for me, making the next right decision. I ain't thinking too far ahead. I'm not concerned about what I did in the past because I can't change that. All I'm concerned about is the next right decision now that's, you know what I mean, going to be beneficial to the life that I'm trying to live. You know what I mean? If that's going to a meeting, if that's going to that decision, it's going to a meeting or going to a class or reaching out to somebody or communicating to somebody how I'm feeling at that time. You know what I mean? Not hanging around certain people, places, and things. Um just staying busy, staying focused on, on, on what it is I'm trying to do. Um, I, Because this time, like I said, it's easy to forget what you went through. It's easy for me to forget about, I, I can say how miserable it was in there, but it could be just easy for me to say, uh, forget about that misery and go back to what it is, um, I, what I'm used to, what I'm comfortable with. So now, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to, like I said to you, Ryan, I came here and we had a, we had an honest and real talk and you was up for when I told you what it, what it is I'm trying to do. And, and you, you actually been um, helping me with that, keeping me, keeping that in front of me because I could lose focus. Um, the guys at, uh, where I'm staying at the house, um, the real house, I'm, I use them as examples, you know what I mean? We human, make mistakes, but I talk to those guys. I reach out, I, like I said, I build bridges, not walls. Now, as, well, as one time, I just isolate myself. Now, I make it a point to go out of my way to talk to them, you know what I mean? Ask questions, because I want to know, you know what I mean? And um, I try to reach out to people who, who've made it, you know what I mean? Um, I go to meetings and I listen. I've actually got a few phone numbers. I'm going to be honest, I ain't used them yet, you know what I mean? I still apprehensive about that, because, you know, but I, I, I go and, and, and I listen, and it's like, Wow, it's like a shot of adrenaline in the arm. It give me if you can do it, I can do it. You know what I mean? So that's what's been different. Just feeling my mindset. So, 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 what are your like? What are you struggling with now? You know, because we all the struggle don't stop. You know, it just goes. You know, I, I'm I'm coming up on four years clean. My I still got struggles, just like anybody else's struggles. Just my struggles today look a little bit different than they did. You know, when I had you know, 30 days, 90 days, you know, six yeah. months, a year clean. So what is your uh, your biggest uh, struggle that you're dealing with at this moment? Not, uh, it's been a long time since I've not had some type of miles for substance in me and, and dealt with life, you know, everyday life, having to get up and be somewhere where you're supposed to be there or be there before you're supposed to be there, uh, having to deal with other people's so-called bullshit, you know what I mean, without having something in it um, in me. So my biggest struggle actually is just maintaining or, or trying to help grow relationships that I probably damaged or relationships that I was in while I was using, you know what I mean, because I had a certain mindset. I really didn't, I numbed myself all the time, so a lot of stuff that was going on, I was oblivious to it. And you hear about that, and it's like it affects you in a different way. Um, So that, that's been the big that's been the big thing, not having something in me. Um. And dealing with life on life terms. And so, how are you navigating? You know, I I know that you're in a in a relationship. So, yeah. uh, and I, and I dealt with that too, man. Coming in, you know, I dealt with that too. Coming in, and I, you know, I I, I was before I asked you this question, I was kind of like, I don't do I want to ask him because he might not want to talk about it. But like, this is what it's authentic. It's authentic conversation. And so, I dealt with the same thing. I was in a relationship. You know, they say don't get in a relationship, right? But I was already in one. Yeah. You know, and so. Um, you know, what has that been like for you trying to uh, navigate uh, that part? Because oftentimes, you know, in recovery, man, uh, especially early on, man, the focus, you know, uh, you know, we need to try to get better. And sometimes, you know, relationships can, I don't want to say be a distraction, but it's very easy to put my focus on my relationship as opposed to on myself. And so what has that been like for you, um, you know, since you've been out? Actually, that's that's something I, I deal with every day. Um, my lady is 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 wonderful. I mean, to my one percent, she's been there for me. You know what I mean? Whatever I needed, you know what I mean? If I uh, whatever I need, whatever is is all I do is act. She's there to see that I succeed in any way possible. You know what I mean? And I can't thank God enough for having her in my life. The biggest challenge has been for me, like I say, um. I pretty much have been using substances our whole relationship. So I was one time, I was, I was another person. Now that I'm not using substances, I just spoke in this actually class, it's like I feel inadequate, you know what I mean, in certain areas. Um, not with the intimate part, I'm, I'm still good, but it's like, <laughs> you know, intimacy is not just sex, you know what I mean? It's more toward it, and I'm learning it's more toward it than that. It's the little things, holding hands, just cuddling it, you know what I mean? Just attention that a woman needs, you know what I mean? And it's like, I feel like, wow, 
you know what I mean? I feel inadequate in certain areas, and but I have expressed it to her. Like I said, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I'm not going to, because usually I just keep that in and try to fake it till I make it. And that's been a downfall. So I'm, 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 I'm being honest with her and I'm communicating with her and I, and I, she does the same with me. Um, it ain't always, it's not easy. Don't get it wrong because it can get emotional at times. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I'm looking at the big picture. You know, I'm not looking at this moment. I'm looking at, I want to spend my lifetime with this lady. You know what I mean? With this woman. Um, and she wants to spend it with me. So I feel like in order for me to even be the man that she deserves a need, I got to continue to work on me. You know what I mean? So I stress that to her and she understands it fully. She gives me the space that I need. She gives me the support that I need to do that. You know what I mean? Um, and I, 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 you know, so I think the big thing is, like I said, was the communication. Because at one time I would have just bottled that up and faked it and this, that, and other. But us communicating now that I do feel inadequate or I do have some things that feel funny with me because I'm not in a certain mindset, you know, I think it's helping me out and I'm, I'm, I'm working through them. All right, so the last and final question is going to be what does uh you know what does what does Daniel Brockington's future look like? You know, what what is uh you know, and I'm asking you this because I know that when we think about goals and we think about dreams, you know, in the program that I practice, they got a saying that say lost dreams awaken new possibilities arise, you know. And and um the same way that that faith is actionable, um you know, sometimes um, that is expressed in um, the speaking of what where we want to go and yeah. what we want to do. And so, what does uh, you know what does the future look like for 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 Mr. Brockington? And um, you know how uh, you know where do you see yourself? Um, you know, a couple of years from now, I know we got to just stand for the day. Today yeah, is where the action yeah, can come complete. But exactly. So 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 so, what are those things? Uh, what does the future look like for you? Actually, in a few years, I probably have your job, Ryan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, but um, actually, like I said, um, the goals I'm setting on in a few years, I want to uh, open up my, I want a little mobile barbershop. That's something. That's a goal. Three to five years from now, hopefully. But right now, just. Getting getting back getting back into life on life turn to, to start paying on court fines to a big one is building a relationship with my son which I'm I'm glad I'm in the process of doing as long as he's open to it um to learn some responsibility you know what I mean um like I said the age of four to seven years old it's a lot I haven't experienced because the mindset and my ways actions attitude and addiction. Um, I haven't experienced. I have never paid taxes. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? That's crazy to say. And I've had many jobs. Um, so it, it, it's, it's pretty much just learning to become a man. You know what I mean? To do things and become responsible. You know what I mean? Uh, to be independent. Um, that's what my future looks like. And um, I'm learning I'm learning a lot of those things from the classes I'm getting here. I'm taking financial classes. I'm taking jobs for life classes. I'm taking stress management classes. I'm taking real life on real life term classes. I'm learning a lot from those things because I'm open and receptive to it today. At one time, I just, like you said, fake it to make it. But uh, I think my future looks good if I continue to make the next right decision. And um, I think it looks real good, you know. Well, listen, man, I, I agree. I think your future looks bright, too. Um you know, I, I see a lot of people and I and I and I and I have high hopes, you know, for 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 people when they come into to this program or, or come into recovery, um, you know, but I, I can tell you, man, that I, I, I got this sense and I hope that this may inspire you, man. But like I got this sense. You stay clean long enough, man, and get in touch with like spiritual uh, energy. Right. And and I can't explain it other than to say, man, like I feel this energy from you, man, of greatness that is within you. You know, and I hope and pray that you can stay in this process long enough 
to experience that stuff yourself, man. Because I, I can feel the energy within you, man, the potential um, for greatness, man. So, um, you know, and that's unique. Not everybody, I don't feel that around everybody. And I'm not just saying that. Like, I'm being honest. So um, so nurture that, man. You know, nurture that. That And uh, in order for that to grow, you know, and for to see, get to fruition, um, it has to be... Um, you know, you got to nurture that. You got to feed it. You got to water it. You got to, you know, give it the right amount of sunlight yeah. for that thing to grow. And so, 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 so do that, man. I encourage you. I'm grateful that we have you here, uh, you know, uh, here with us uh, on the show. But I'm also grateful that um, that, that, that God has, has saw fit to cross our paths, man, because I, I there's nothing that does that I like more than to, to, to watch somebody um, from the beginning of their process and watch where where God takes them, man. So thank you uh, for, for being here, and thank you for being on the show. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, I appreciate you too, man. Thank you for having me, man. When do you usually broadcast? Well, it's going to be soon. Let me know. Get my people to check it out. <laughs> Don't miss the McShin Foundation's second annual A Night for Scott this Saturday at the Salisbury Country Club. Hi, I'm Jill Chickowitz, Scott's twin sister. Two years ago, my brother tragically lost his life to an accidental overdose. But through the Scott Zabrowski Scholarship Fund, his big heart lives on. Join me this Saturday for a delicious dinner, live entertainment, a silent and live auction, and incredible guest speakers at A Night for Scott. Get your tickets today at eventbrite.com and search A Night for Scott. Together, we can end the stigma and fight for tomorrow. Here at the Real Life Community Center, our mission is to assist individuals who have been impacted by incarceration, homelessness, who are battling addiction to overcome barriers and obstacles faced within the community that hinder their prosperity and their ability to have a thriving future. Our vision is to walk alongside our clients, to see them grow into prosperous and thriving life, while highlighting the barriers associated with those exiting incarceration and overcoming addiction in order to reduce the negative stigmas and stereotypes. Every day, men and women looking for second chances and redemption walk through our doors. They are seeking hope, motivation, and skills in order to make that change. Through community partnerships and financial investments, Real Life is able to provide clients specifically with what they need. Intense case management, an expected mother's program, recovery housing or housing referrals, mental health services, classes and groups, job preparation and placement, transportation assistance, substance use disorder support, educational opportunities, a clothing closet, a computer lab, and more. And most important, unconditional love and support. All donations directly support providing services to further our mission of assisting individuals who have been impacted by incarceration or homelessness or those battling a substance use disorder to overcome barriers and obstacles faced within the community that hinder their prosperity and ability to have a thriving future. If you would like to donate to Real Life Community Center, you can donate on our webpage, www.reallifeprogram.org backslash donate, or you can donate directly through the anchor.fm app or listening platform.